Welcome back, fine townsfolk, to another episode of Random Encounters. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. And here we are to discuss a random monster from a random monster manual. Like last week, we are delving into a new property here, a new campaign setting. As referenced last week, it is from Monty Cook Games. I highly recommend you check those guys out. Monty Cook Games puts out No Thank You Evil, which is a great way to start your really young kids into to Dungeons and & Dragons. And it's a great intro if you want to really have a nice, kind of easy, plush way to get into DMing. It's a, it's a very gentle system to get into as a DM as well. It kind of holds your hand. And uh, it's not it's not terribly scary. There are not a lot of rules to learn. So it's it's nice for, for both both sides of the game. But also from Monty Cook Games, we have the Numenera campaign setting. It is it was originally, I believe, a fate fate setting, but they they also translated it to 5e. And there are three manuals out there for this setting. We have the Beneath the Monolith, Arcana of the Ancients, and Beasts of Flesh and Steel. Beasts of Flesh and Steel is the one specific monster manual per se, but they all they all have a couple of couple of pages of monsters in there. And the premise behind this is the it is the ninth world, where it is set millions of years in the future on Earth. The world has become a supercontinent again, so like Pangaea, and nine civilizations have dawned and fallen before your characters even exist. Okay. So present day, we are that first civilization and we, we wipe ourselves out somehow. And then seven others happen. Could be aliens, could be the lizard people from the ground, could be anything. And basically in Ninth World, it is the remnants of all of those. It's, it's a lot like Gamma World in a sense. Okay. It's the remnants of those different civilizations, a lot of which the societies don't know, don't understand, but there's there are some aliens, there are mutants, there are abhumans, there's machines, there are relics and things that are super powerful and some things that say it's like the little dancing flower that dances with the solar yeah. with solar rays, like that itself could be a valuable relic because it's so rare and it's something that does something, but no one else has it. So maybe your game is going to find that for a very powerful warlord or a, a magistrate or something. And obviously you wouldn't let them know exactly what that is. You right. would just say the dancing flower of, of solar energy or something right. along those lines and then they just see the it. sunflower call it the, the sunflower sun, yeah. the solar flower something along those lines you, you 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 tweak the language enough yeah yeah then they see it and have to do the indiana jones move where they put yep. something there a tiny little bag of beans yeah yeah so this is this is science what is it science fantasy is what i would classify these and sure the book we're looking at beneath the monolith is basically just how telling us about this world, about this ninth world, and the ideas I have reading this thing, the the absolute bonkers. Literally anything is the limit here. I mean, there are there's a field of crystals that float gargantuan crystals that float high above a desert. 
and they're, I, I just, I find it, here, let me see if I can give you another example. The weird of Drowless, the Drowless is a, is a city-state. West of Beoth lies a huge tower-like machine. If anyone comes close, it sprouts bladed tentacles that lop off heads and siphon out brains. A mighty warrior, her scarred face covered in a half-mask of gold, is sometimes seen traveling on a strange creature. She calls it a horse and claims to have unfrozen the beast from an ancient tomb. So maybe that is actually a horse, and no one has ever seen a horse before. You True. Know, it's Or it's a motorcycle. Or it's a motorcycle. Like, it's iron horse. Who knows? Yeah. It's, I just, I'm so very much in, in love with this campaign setting because... Of all the systems that I've seen, your mind really is the limit on this thing. It's a blank canvas that they've done a really interesting underpainting. Yeah, and you can you can take a really banal common item and and make it all mysterious, or you can make something up completely bogus that would definitely wouldn't fly in a standard D and D game, but it'll work here. Yeah, you've got everything from the first age. Our and then age, you have yeah. eight of them in between that that are things you've never even seen before, right. so you have that creative license. They get more complex and more mysterious and more technologically advanced, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe not technologically Right, advanced. yeah. Maybe the last one, they got to the Bronze Age and that's it. So most of your your people have bronze armor or, or bronze spears, things like that. I don't know. Yeah. The limit is you, and we will get into some... So all of the monsters basically are alien, mutant, or robot. Okay. Along those lines. don't t- But take all of those... All of your preconceived notions of every one of those words and, and toss them out, because just so cool. So very cool. So we're going to talk page 146 today. The Ithsin. Okay. Little dragony. Dra- little draconic. It says, let's see, it's a medium beast. Okay. Loud and horrible, the things called Ithsins appear to be the result of a genetic experiment gone awry. Possessing distinctive qualities of avians, reptiles, mammals, and fish, they seem difficult to categorize. In the end, however, they are unique in their own right. They are nesting hunters. They're egg layers that live in large communal nests comprised of at least three adults and often more. So they are polygamous, I guess. There's a bit of a thruple. Yeah, a little, little thruple, little egg thruple. They fiercely defend their nests, even unto death. These carnivores hunt in packs, looking for prey of any size. Ithsins do not see or hear particularly well and rely on their long, snake-like tongues for much of their sensing. More times than not, a pack nests atop or in front of the entrance of an abandoned facility that lures explorers. So basically just wait for the food to come to you. Yep. So we we have a speed of 40 feet, hit points of 75. It's a challenge rating of four. Not a whole lot going on in terms of of attack. Uh, It's got a 21 strength, which is bananas, 17 con. Everything else is pretty weenie. But my favorite part is it has a confusion gas as a reaction. Okay. When the Ithsin takes damage, it releases a dark greenish gas from orifices throughout its body. Each creature within 10 feet of it must succeed on a DC 13 con save or become addled. 
Creatures immune to the poisoned condition are immune to this gas. Adult victims behave randomly on their next turn and roll a d100 and consult the table. So 1 through 20 is they run off in a random direction for a, sh a short distance. 21 through 30 is they attack the nearest creature with whatever means is closest at hand. 31 through 60, they do nothing but cough and shout. 61 through 80, they fall down and roll on the ground. 81 through 90, they drop whatever's held and cover their eyes and face with their hands. 91 through 100, activate most powerful available ability, cipher, or relic that is not an attack, if none rule again. So cipher and relic are like the technology and the random things from old ages. Gotcha. As long as it's not an attack. So th so they pop. Imagine it, it makes them pop like a really powerful heel mm -hmm. when no one needs it. That's a bummer. Yeah. The, my only complaint here is that it recharges after a short or long rest. It's not even a die roll. When are you going to put a give a, an Ithsen a rest? That's a very valid point. I mean, you're especially when it's it's probably going to die in combat. Yeah, you're in it till the end with this thing. So you would imagine. I might homebrew that to like a five or a six, five or a six, or a even D6. just a six. I don't think it's that powerful that you're really screwing your players, especially because it's just a 10 foot radius. Yeah. It's not like the whole room fills up though. It is. I mean, you're used to maybe like a breath weapon or a cone or something along those lines where you have a limited range. This is a 10 foot radius around this creature. So you are hitting more technically. That's true. But I will say you, you make a valid point that it's not the entire room. It's just, okay. So you're barbarian and maybe your rogue. Mm -hmm are, are going to be affected while, you know, the, the ranger and the wizard are probably back a little too far. From right. You. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and maybe if, if you make it rechargeable, I would work in maybe half of the, the do nothing but cough and shout is 30. I would make, so it's, it's 31 through 60. I would make maybe 31 through 40, Nothing happens and you can use your action. So there is a chance. Yeah, you give them an ability to actually yeah. be okay if this thing hits. But it's only one turn. Yeah. It's not like they have to save against it or anything. What is the attack on this thing? I mean, is it pretty substantial where if you lose a turn, you could be down a, a good amount of hit points if it hits you? It's It could multi-attack. It could bite with its trifurcated mouth which is a D8 plus five. Yeah. I mean, at, so that averages out about nine. And at challenge four, nine is, I mean, if you're the wizard, it's a lot. But if you're raging as a barbarian, it's it's piercing damage. So you're going to half that even more. So, yeah. And then it's a kick of three D8 plus five. The kick is, is pretty hefty. But it doesn't have any ranged. Hmm. Yeah. I think that is unnecessarily hampered. Yeah, it's a little underpowered. Yeah. And say you, you pull it off two times in a row, but then you don't recharge for the rest of the game. I've had I've I've run games where my recharge never happens. Oh yeah. So that is the one thing I would change. I would change the fact that it can recharge and maybe on the do nothing Oh, do nothing but cough and shout. Yeah. So that's saying you don't get an action there. I would work in the ability to to actually do something. Maybe it makes you cough, but it doesn't hinder you. 
Yeah, I think that's, or maybe it's, it hinders you by, uh, you have disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. You can still make your attack. Right. Right. I specifically wanted to talk about this guy because of that recharge, that specific wording of that recharge. I don't think I've seen it terribly often because of the instance of why would that even be an option for this creature? Yeah, exactly. That being said, with that little tweak, this could be a really fun encounter. I think for, for both player and DM. Oh, absolutely. I think it would be interesting, especially if you adjust that that mechanic a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just the setting itself is really cool. And then adding this thing in and realizing that you're probably not going to fight just one. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there will be there will be more. And it says it says every creature within ten feet. But I, I, I certainly would make the other Ithsin immune to this effect. I would say so. Yeah. I mean that just makes sense to do it that way. It's a DC 13 con save, which isn't very high. A 13 isn't isn't terrible. No. Presumably everyone, certainly everyone in the thick of it that will be exposed to that will have a higher higher con to, to give, give themselves yeah. a little bonus. So that, that further accentuates my argument is you pop this once and nobody gets affected by it. You've, you've, it's completely wasted until you take a short rest. Exactly. Like what, is it going to tag out and go take a nap while the other Ithsin goes in? Yeah. There's three of them. So just one of them goes and takes a short rest while the other ones fight. That's yeah. just, that's not how it works. So, I mean, yeah, they, they could all pop it and they would all have to, to, to save against it. So, so there is that technically. Sure. You know, but so I'm, I'm working it out here. So if it, if they're fighting multiple Maybe you don't recharge, you know, because you st- you'll still have the option of doing multiple instances of this. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, that, that would have to be something you take into account and make sure that your encounter is you come across a, a nest of three of these or a colony mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And it, it is a reaction. So I'm, I'm reading that as they have the option of when to do. It's not like the first time they get hit, it happens with without their control. They can choose when to make this happen, so they can wait for when the barbarian and the rogue are right up in there, and and the fighter sure. or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's it's a skunk spray basically. It's not. Yeah. It it has agency over when this occurs. Right. Right. Yeah. In general, though, this is a pretty good example of the weird critters you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, definitely look at the the podcast art that you can see on Instagram, or you can also just look up Ithsyn, I-T-H-S-Y-N, for a, a quick quick Google image search, and that that'll show you. It's it's weird. It's it is the mixture of all of those animals. It is therapeutal. I would one hundred percent allow the ranger to have this as a mount. Oh sure, absolutely. That would be really cool. Yeah. And that would be with with that kick. That's that kick is pretty gross. And the if everybody had like a gas mask or maybe the ranger was immune to it, using that ability on the enemies is a is a cool cool touch. Yeah, that would be something that you would want to just charge up into the thick of things. Right. So you would imagine that you'd have to buff your ranger up considerably just to make sure that he could survive that but yeah i think that's really cool or the cavalier fighter that would be it yes exactly that that makes even more sense yeah 
the Cavalier fighter or what's the Paladin has a has a fine mount, fine steed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I guess the the Ranger it would be more of a an animal companion than anything. But then then you have to worry about leveling friendly fire and friendly oh, fire level my my thought is leveling because this is the stats in here are a four level four yep say you, you guys are level 15 what have you done to, to make this stuff scale even the gas will become less and less effective because it's a dc 13 yeah you would have to find a way to scale that up to wherever you're at maybe look at look at where proficiency bonus is maybe have it 10 plus whatever whatever the PC's proficiency bonus is at that point. Sure. That's a very easy way to boost that number. Sure. Something along those lines. I think the other thing you can do is maybe just look at other monsters that are scaling up, say, between level 4 and level 15. Yeah. And see what the... Something that has, obviously, a similar right reaction or or attack or whatever and then just try to pair it off of that yeah see what other pc enabled monsters what they have going for them whether it's a mount or an animal companion or or maybe even a familiar i'm not sure how much familiars scale to be honest but yeah, i don't know but yeah that's that's always the case if you're trying to pull something out of the book and use it more creatively and and apply a template that we don't technically have or or we don't have the ability to, to really translate those numbers, always look for its counterpart that has those numbers for you already. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many resources to use. Whether it's you're looking in monster manuals you already have or just go online and Google search something. Oh yeah. You'll undoubtedly find what you're looking for. It just depends on how hard you have to dig. Right, and the beauty of 5e and the internet is there is so much homebrew and there's so much discussion out there. I, I would be very surprised if, if you didn't find something fairly easily. Correct, yeah. So the Ithsin and specifically, kind of meh of a monster. Yeah, it's okay. However, the Numenera campaign setting, very cool, right? Very cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In terms of the campaign setting, what are we looking at? for like races and classes and stuff like that because we talked about Humblewood and that Mm. is just a a plethora of new and interesting things you can do Mm -hmm. is this kind of a standard science fantasy we're not swinging swords necessarily all the time but does it just kind of break down to fighter and and rogue and and things along those lines they have two options to start the game as the DM, you could have your players in a sci- in in like a standard D and D high fantasy setting, fall through a portal or step into a time warp, whatever, and their characters will literally translate. Just bring the character sheet over; it's the exact same thing. Okay. In which case, you can have any race, any class, any anything. Cool. If you're starting from scratch in this world, they say most likely human or one or two other alien races and that's it okay that's it in terms of races for classes they have you could play anything class-wise it's just that i will say that is a huge boon to this system then because a lot of times when you get something like this it's no you can't be a aracocra monk you can't that's just silly yeah. in this setting you have to be a you know, a space pirate with tentacled fingers or something like that. Yeah. 
in Ninth World, there are three names for classes. There's the Jack, which refers to a Jack of all trade, which would be a rogue. Okay. There is the Glaive, which would be anyone non-magical. So barbarian, fighter, monk, paladin, or ranger. I, paladin is, is magical. The martial classes, I guess, is a safe way to put it. So you would call yourself a Glaive. So you could have three Glaives in your party. One is monk, one is ranger, one is fighter. Gotcha. You're still you're still using that build, and you're still having each you're each taking your own path, but in this world you would refer to yourself as a glaive. Okay. And then there's the nano, which is bard, cleric, druid, sork, lock, and wizard. They recommend that you flavor things a little differently. You know, make it more technological. You're not doing anything with magic per se or even a god but maybe the ancient relic that is embedded in your shoulder is your god and it's giving you those powers or it's your your patron and it's giving you those powers sure that's the beauty of of all of this stuff being a mystery is that you can kind of put it anywhere and you can tweak it and flavor it and color it how you want. Yeah. That little ball that you grabbed from the museum that makes your hair stand up. Yeah. That gives you all the power that you need. Now you're an elemental sork. Yeah, exactly. But you just carry that around and call yourself a nano. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. Or, or it's nanites, you know, like it is, it is tiny. There's a thing, a thing called the yellow fog or, or yellow, yellow cloud or something like that. That is, literally a, a cloud of berserk nanobots that if you get caught in it or any or any material that gets caught in it they recreate that material so it could sweep through a forest and turn it turn one tree into a glass fish and make an acre of battery acid and and it's just like it blows on the wind and will completely wreak havoc on things and very rarely has anyone survived it and benefited from it. Usually they just make half of your head stone and the other half a, a llama's butt, you know. It's it's just, it's pure chaos. The old llama's butt, yep. The, the old the half a llama's butt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is that is really cool. And and much like the setting itself, that just opens, opens up the possibilities for pretty much anything. So that's really cool. So much, yeah. Your mind's the limit, but it also gives you so much in terms of of ideas of where you can go with it. Correct. That's the best part. Because saying the mind's the limit is like, oh, well, I mean, I guess you could have a laser sword. But this, there's so much in here in this source. And I haven't read the other two books. I'm I'm only halfway through Beneath the Monolith. But it's, it is, if you're looking for sci-fantasy, this is the place to start in in your game. I know there are a couple of other systems out there, but sure. this one is oof, this one's really good. Very cool. So Numenera itself gets a, gets a high grade for sure. Yes. The Ithsin, straight out of the book without our tweaks because because we're we're looking at this as the source material. It has the potential to be tweaked. But what do you think for this as as a random en- encounter? Because honest, well, I mean. Honestly, that's all all you can really do with it, unless you say like the bad guy has them trained and they're like pack animals or 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 guardians or something like that. But still, they wouldn't lead to much more than just a fight to get through them. Sure, yeah. I mean, I like the idea of using it as a either a, a paladin mount or a ranger 
Animal Companion, something along those lines. Uh, mm. That's definitely a kind of a feather in its cap, but straight out of the book rules is written for this thing. I would say probably two cloud puffs of gas. Yeah, two gas puffs. Two gas puffs. Yeah, no system is immune from needing fodder. Yep. No system is immune from needing just a random encounter. But the the beauty of this is this is opening up this world to us. This is I cannot wait to read the other source books on this. And it's a great campaign setting and the idea of more of these really cool monsters that have capabilities that have environments and things that that again we just haven't thought about. Like there's there there's more to this. The Ithsin is for sure going to be a gateway for us, I think. Yeah, if this is your first foray into this campaign setting don't be disheartened yes right great great way to put it yeah ignore everything we said about the Ithsin in this episode just just pay attention to the Numenera stuff and again Monty Cook games look it up if you're looking for a new campaign setting or something like that really really cool cannot praise it enough and that is it for this week thank you so much for listening to Random Encounters we greatly appreciate your listenership and we will be back next week with another random monster from a random monster manual thanks again hey random encounters is a proud member of the feckless momes audio network 